my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The Thank you. 
song says bless the lord oh my soul because so many times when you read through the psalms and whatever all david's troubles and trials he was having he would often tell himself bless the lord oh my soul command himself to bless the lord and i love that the lord is my salvation last night i was looking up the meaning of the word salvation it's a word that i grew up hearing but many people especially if you're not from a, a Christian home or background, you don't really know what that word means because we learn words by comparing them with other words. You know, in salvation, what is that? Um, I was reading one guy's story last night. He said when he thought of salvation, he thought of a salvage yard. And uh, <laughs> it, it's somewhat true, you know, you salvage something, sal salvation, right? <laughs> but um, the meaning of it is to save from a state of peril. And we know that all of us are born in that state of peril without Christ. And uh, it's just a good reminder for me to recognize the salvation that the Lord has provided through Jesus. So let's sing with all our hearts.
You can be seated. If anyone has a testimony or a prayer request, feel free to share. Some of you guys are all new or newer here. And one of the reasons we do or we started doing the testimony prayer request time through our praise time was because when we went to Australia about it was a little over a year ago, right? Um, I had never seen it done that way, but we went to I don't know, a couple different churches down there that we're back and forth with and were completely blessed by the way people shared they, this was how they did their praise time. They had testimony and prayer requests and sharing all through the singing. And it brought the music alive to me. And I came back with such a burden in my heart to see that brought out in our own church of a prayer time and a, a praise time. Like we call this a praise time. It is literally that. It was, it was so alive because of that. People were just sharing what God was doing through the week and it became alive. It brings the music out. The words we're singing, it brings that to reality. As we think back over our week or month or whatever it is and we bring out a praise to God. Don't do it for us um, or for anybody else sitting here, but praise God for what he's done in your life this week and you'll find out it blesses so many others too because God is at work. And we all love to hear about what it is. Just the simple little things in our life is um, God at work. And we all love to hear about that. So don't be shy when we open it up like this for you guys to praise, praise God or say a prayer request. We'd love to hear it. life 
yet and tranquil and yet godly and full of your purpose, full of your grace, even as you were, Lord Jesus, full of grace. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. We bless you for those whom you do set in authority. We thank you. You told us to be thankful for all men. And so we do, Lord. You come with a voice of thanksgiving that you are God. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
be new. So I pray you would do that for our dear brother. You would bless him, Lord, as he waits to hear from the doctor. You would surgery, Lord. We just pray that you would touch him, Lord Jesus. You would give him much grace. And you would, um, Father, give him, give him patience and perseverance and strengthen him, Lord, uh, as, as he waits for these things. But also, Lord, that you would touch him. Lord, you're still the miracle-working Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would touch him, our dear brother's physical body, to a miracle. His mom or his dad? His mom? Which? His dad's side, okay. Oh, that's right. Sure. Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we understand that you are in control, and the things like this, Lord, of a heart attack, Lord, is, is not something that surprises you. And Lord, I just pray that your will would be done in this situation. And for Kyle and his, um, his dad and his family, Lord, I just pray that they would be comforted in knowing that you are in control. They would put their faith in you and this would be a time of strengthening, of, of seeing you and your nature more, Lord, real in their lives. And Lord, we do pray for healing, if not against your will, Lord, that you would heal her and that she would be well again. But Lord, we just, we ask that your will would be done. Not ours, Lord, but yours. And help us to be there for Kyle, especially, Lord, as um, he goes through this time. Lord, I just pray that we would lift him up in prayer and just in every way, Lord, that we can to be an encouragement to him. And, Lord, that it would just be so real in his life who you are. That is what we ask above everything. I pray this in your name. Amen.
disagree with the Greeley part, but other than that, it was pretty good. (laughs) I had to think, though, as you were reading that, Mom, in the reference of that being true when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that that passage becomes exactly real. All of a sudden, our lips proclaim things we don't even know, because as the Holy Spirit fills us and speaks through us, that is proclaimed, and that is so true in that. Even in Greeley. Amen.
Amen. I'm so thankful for that. He has arms wide open to whoever will come to him. Amen. Let's all stand up and sing one more song.
right, you can be seated, and I'll turn the time over. Okay, the children can come forward. Who's back? Hmm. Well, we got them all up here this morning. Sit that thing down there so I don't have to look over the thing. Picks them up. All right. Are you shy? Are you shy? Oh, Tiffy's not. You're okay. Well, I'll try not to pick on the. I'll try not to pick on the ones that are shy. Hmm. It's always what I do, right? It is Grandma's temperature in here today. Whew. I am warm. All right. You got a song? Wrapped up, tied up already. He didn't even warm up yet. God's not dead. That's a better warm-up song. We'll get to wrapped up, tied up, though. Did you practice it at all? You did. Oh, you even practiced it. Huh? Okay, did you get the God's not dead one? That one's a little easier. We'll get the wrapped up, tied up, but let's start out with something we all know a little bit better. What? God's not dead, no. You guys, I've heard you guys scream way louder than that on those swings out there. Uh-huh. I've heard Brad sing a lot louder when he just catches a football. Haven't you, Dad? Oop, where'd Dad go? Oops. Never mind. We all have. All right. God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. Um, deep and wide. Steve likes it. At least we got. At least we always got a. We always got a fan club and Steve back here. One of these days we're gonna get him up here and do Father Abraham. Do you guys know all the motions? If you don't know them, I can't do them while playing this. So you have to watch her. And wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Wide and deep, wide and deep, there's a fountain flowing wide and deep. 
good. I haven't sang that one in a long time. Um, how does that walk, walk, walk? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay, you guys are going to have to spread out a little bit. Or we could have the little ones come up front a little bit. Benny and Lexi, come up. Keep coming. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. All right, there we go. Now maybe you guys have a little bit more room. All right. I will keep it Okay, again, I don't, I can't do everything with you, so you're gonna have to watch Soretta. It's a great day to praise the Lord. It's a great day to praise the Lord. It's a great day to praise the Lord. Walking in the light of God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Woo! Walk, walk, walk in the light. Woo! Walk, walk, walk in the light. a few more wolves in you. Woo! Alright. It's a great day to serve the Lord. It's a great serve the Lord. It's a great to serve the Lord. Love God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Woo! Walk, walk, walk in the light. Woo! Walk, walk, walk in the light. Woo! Really? Nobody was singing. Oh, that's what he wanted. <laughs> you just really miss being up here, don't you? Hmm. So height isn't everything, and age isn't everything. You still just like being up here. Oh, one more year. Then what? I'm fired? You're taking over. Good. I can't wait. This is going to be interesting. I'm going to sit down there and I'm going to critique. Michael, nobody else was singing. Why don't you just not sing and see if anybody else is? <laughs> All right. What else did this song you want to sing? Huh? Cast your burdens. 
All right, we'll do that one, then we'll do wrapped up, tied up. Anybody going to help me? Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Okay, are you ready? Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. I'm always out of breath, and I'm not even singing. Boy, I tell you, Carrie's up there just going up and down <laughs> like a jumping jack, and I'm just, I can't strum and jump. It don't work. Uh, I, uh, could be, I could thump and jump. Uh, all right. Uh, there was another one. We'll all catch our breath with another song before we do wrapped up. Um, uh, what's uh, How's it go? I'm, a, uh, I'm in the Lord's Army. That one. Have we done that one for a while? We will. Next song after this. I keep saying that though, right? All right. Um, I may never march in the infantry, but I
Wrapped up? You got this all figured out now, right? How do you do it? Woo! You got it practiced? Ah! You got it? Okay, I'm impressed. I mean, last week, or last time, you were all like... All right. All right. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. You guys could sit down and catch your breath. Right here, right here. Oh, oh. Sorry. All right, how many of you know who John Newton is? Of course, Michael raises his hand. What do you know about John Newton? He was a slave? Was he a slave? Thank you. He was a slave himself, though. I guess I didn't even realize that. Does anybody know what song he wrote? Good job, Lukey. All right. So, I'll read this story real quick to you. The meaning of grace. Everyone talks about the grace of God, but what does the word grace mean? It means getting something you do not deserve and cannot earn, like our salvation. So, what did uh, what did uh, Jason say this morning? Did anybody hear what did he say about the word salvation? You guys weren't listening. What did he say? It's like. What did he say? One guy said it's like. I love this, by the way, Jason. I thought that was really good. Like a salvage yard. 
You think John Newton's li- what's a salvage yard? What do you, what's a salvage yard? A junkyard. Okay, so what do you go there get? Uh, junk. Junk. <laughs> exactly. We all have a drawer like that, don't we? Have a salvage drawer. We hope it'll someday get fixed, but we never usually do. It's just a junk drawer. But what do, what do you think God can do as salvage? Do you think God salvages us? What does it mean to salvage? Look. No. So okay, so there's a car that's in a bad accident, okay, and it's mangled up. And they call it, they total it. In other words, they say it's not fix, it's not worth fixing. But then some guy that's really good at body work or fixing cars comes along and he looks at that thing and he goes, man, it's not as bad as they think. It's nowhere near that. I can fix that thing up. So he fixes it all up and it looks amazing. He makes it look brand new. And they give it a salvage title. That's what they call it is a salvage title. So he took something that was worthless to someone and he salvaged it and he made it look really nice again. That's what God does with us. The world may look at us and say, we are worth nothing. God looks at us at that point and says, oh, I can make that into something great. I love that definition of salvation. All right. Now then, let us play a guessing game. I will give you some clues and you see if you can name this man before I write about him. He was born in London in 1725. His mother died when he was seven. And at the age of 11, he went to sea with his father. He had only two years of schooling. Wow, he is less than me. That's amazing. He had no use for God and would curse and mock him. Our sailors feared that he would go to hell. Other sailors feared that he would go to hell. He got into the slave business to make money and finally had his own slave ship. Only when his ship was about to sink during a very bad storm did this man cry out to God. He became a Christian and wrote many hymns. One is so famous that you probably sung it time after time in your own church. Can you guess who he is? I think I gave it away, didn't I? John Newton. With only two years of school... John Newton went to sea with his father. He had made six voyages before his father retired. When he was 19, he was forced to serve his country on a man-of-war ship named HMS Harwick. However, this ship was an awful place to live. The food was wormy, rats were everywhere, and there was always stinking water sloshing under the hammocks in the seamen's quarters. It was so bad that John jumped ship. Things were even worse when he was recaptured and flogged in front of all the sailors. His back was cut to ribbons, went from the whip, and he lay in his hammock groaning in misery. After that, his rank was cut from midshipman to common seaman. John Newton hated God. He would go into a wicked dance on ship, laughing and cursing and mocking God, until he made the other sailors fear that God would punish them all. John had so much fear of God, John had no such fear of God at all. Unable to bear the awful conditions on the man-of-war, he asked to be transferred to a slave ship. He was in love with a girl in London, and he decided he would go back to her a rich man. The slave trade was the best way to get rich. The slaves were treated badly. They were kidnapped in Africa and put on slats in the hold. Sometimes there were so many that they made them lie on their sides like spoons. They would be like this for the entire journey to what was called the New World. Once in a while, to clean them, they were hosed off. However, things were not good for John. He became the servant of a slave trader trader in Sierra Leone. There he was taught to brand slaves without blinking an eye. But then he grew ill himself. He was put outside 
on a board with a mat and a log for a pillow. His lips cracked from thirst and his stomach growled from hunger. He realized that he too had become a slave. In 1748, a friend of his father's rescued John. He still mocked the Lord, but after time became, became captain of his own slave ship. That was when things began to change. The change in John began when a terrible storm struck his ship. There were waves. The waves were monsters that threatened to kill all of them on board the ship. The ship bucked and plunged through the heavy seas. All John's skill was not going to save him this time. Surely the ship was going to sink. Winds howled around them while waves battered the vessel. Just when it seemed like all hope was gone, John lifted his voice and cried, Lord, have mercy on us. Later in his cabin, he thought, did I really call upon God? Was that why the storm calmed? He would always look on that day as the day of his salvation. He still ran a slave ship for a while, but he treated them as human beings, not as animals. In 1750, John married the girl he had dreamed about for so many years. And in 1755, he gave up seafaring. In fact, in fact, he fought against the evils of the slave trade with all his might until he died. In the end, John Newton traveled the world, but his real mission work was done from his own home. He became the pastor of a church in England and worked tirelessly to free the African people he had helped to enslave all those years before. John Newton wrote at least 280 hymns. He was used to bring a great many people to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote it, Therefore you see, no one can sin so much that God cannot save him. The Apostle Paul said it best in these words, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1.15 so what are we? Are we salvage projects? Some are a little worse than others. Maybe. That's what we think, right? I think we're all the same to God. None of us are too bad for Him. And He is willing to save each one of us and to rebuild us into something He wants us to be. Even John Newton, someone who cursed and mocked God, God still makes him into somebody He desires him to be. All right, thank you all very much for singing and listening. Good morning. morning. There we go. I was hoping the story didn't put you to sleep. It didn't put me to sleep. That was a good one. Oh, thank you, Carrie, for that. Thank you, kids, for singing. You did a great job this morning. And uh, our worship team, thank you so much in leading us in song and prayer and testimony. But just a few things before we uh, move on with the preaching time of our uh, service here. A few announcements to make. Um, this week, uh, for the first time this year now, our uh, ministry team had met, had our first meeting of the year, and you know, it was, it was so blessed 
we were so blessed to, to come together and see what what God is doing, and especially after the tough year we've had the past year, and of course none of us knows what what's ahead, but, uh, you know, coming through a, a year like we did in 2020 and so many uh, changes and difficulties and things like that, but we were able to, to see God's hand in in all that and see the, the good things that God has done. And, and uh, we're talking about it, it's just, it's almost a year now that uh, since the Lord gave us this building here and, and uh, you know, with being shut down and COVID and all that, it's, it's felt like it's been a little difficult to become established here because of that. But, but it's amazing what the Lord has done and you all being here this morning are a testimony of that. So some things to look forward to uh, ahead in the new year here. We're changing things up a little bit, adding a few things, and and we uh, believe that this will uh, allow us to continue to, to grow and develop as a body here in, in Greeley. Um, one thing to, that we're planning on uh, adding to our schedule is the first week of each month on a Friday evening, we're going to have a family night here. And everybody is, is welcome. You're, in, you're uh, welcome to invite your friends, anybody in the community, people from other churches, and come together and have a time of, of fellowship and a, a time of being able to really get to know each other and uh, just fellowship together, whether it's playing games, you know, we'll bring finger foods to snack on and, and different things. Jamie loves that idea. So, <laughs> and uh, so, so be looking for that. We'll, we'll make announcements for that. That'll, the first one will probably be uh, the first Friday evening in February. And uh, I believe John and Maggie are planning on heading that up. So uh, uh, thank you, Maggie, for that. I'm sure you'll be uh, putting an awful lot of work into that. And for the rest of us, let's let's pitch in and, and help with that. Let's not leave the place a mess when <laughs> when uh, that happens, and uh, let Maggie to clean up everything by herself. I think that would be a little tough. So, <laughs> so uh, but I'm I'm really looking forward to that 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 time of, of fellowship once a month, and we're also looking to add uh, a time of uh, prayer and Bible study for whoever would like to on the third week of the month on a Wednesday evening. And so be be looking forward to that. And it'll come it'll be more of a informal type of uh, prayer, Bible study. Anyone and everyone will be welcome to that as well. And uh, just sitting around and, and really fellowshipping over God's word and really digging deep and uh, I believe Phil's gonna be leading us out in that and so it'll be uh, great to see what, uh, how the Lord leads us in that. So, those are some of the things to look forward to in the new in the new year. And I believe those are both things that will help us to continue to uh, reach out to the community, reach out to others, and to get to know each other better and to uh, fellowship around the Lord. So I'm I'm looking forward to both of those things. So uh, we have some programs here. If you if you've got them, we'll we'll be. Uh, trying to print out 
the announcements uh, in in these, we'll try to be get back to uh, handing these out every Sunday. We're going to try to come up with a format that uh, is going to be uh, probably just a one-page thing that you can take home with you, stick on your refrigerator. You'll have all your announcements for the week. Um, we'll be switching to that probably when we get through our supply of uh, current folders. So you can take these home with you, and you'll have all the announcements right there for the coming week. And uh, for today, as usual, we'll have a lunch after the service, and uh, there'll be fellowship and games afterwards, so please, everybody, stay for that. There is a ladies' fellowship night on Tuesday, January 26th. So that is not this Tuesday, but next. Okay, and that will be here at the church. Sarah will be hosting that. And ladies, please bring a tray of finger foods to share. And January the 24th, John Olive will be here again with us to uh, share the word. Am I correct? You're not going to be here that Sunday? So that's next Sunday. So um, Phil will be out of town. And so John Olive will be here next Sunday sharing the word with us. Um, Judah Kofer was once again supposed to be here this morning to share with us, but obviously he is not. It seems his COVID symptoms have gotten worse, and uh, we pray for God's healing with that. Phil, can you uh, lead us in a prayer for, for Judah and their family and pray for God's healing? Yes, Father, we pray that you would touch Judah's body and Heather and their children as they walk through this trial. I pray, Father, that your grace would flow into their hearts and strengthen their inner man with all might by your Holy Spirit. Only you can do that, Lord. You can make this a time when they sense your, your nearness in their lives and they become rooted and grounded in your love. And I pray, Father, that you would um, touch their physical bodies. Lord, we thank you for this couple and their ministry to you and, and to your people. And we pray that you would raise them up and equip them, Lord Jesus, and strengthen their bodies to continue to labor in your service. Bless them this morning with that renewed love and life that is in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Also, uh, as most of you have probably seen, those that are newer, hopefully you have as well, there's a table in the back there with Bibles, some other books, and literature on. Please feel free to help yourself to any of that. There is uh, There are little welcome cards and, and uh, different things you can take and pass out to your friends and uh, people in the community, acquaintances, to uh, let them know about the church here as well. Please feel free to help yourself to any of that back there. Um, in our church here, we do not pass an offering. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the law was pretty strict about giving 10% of your money, your income, to God. He was pretty serious about that. That was a, a type of things to come, and there was something that God very much asked them to do. But do you know what he asked us to do in under the new covenant? He says everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. 
So we don't pass an offering. We don't ask for, for 10% or anything like that. There are two things that the scripture says in, in giving that uh, we believe are important. It says to give as God has blessed you and to give cheerfully. If you feel like you have to give, whether it's to the church or to anybody else, out of a begrudging kind of a spirit or just out of duty, probably not going to do you much good. So if the Lord has blessed you this morning, and out of that blessing you can give cheerfully, please feel free to do that. There's an offering box uh, mounted to the back of uh, the wall there by the sound booth. You can uh, feel free to use that. And we thank you for doing that as the Lord leads you. I think that's uh, all for the announcements. So uh, before Phil comes, let's have a prayer and ask God to open up the word to us here this morning. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have here this morning. I thank you that you are true and faithful. You have brought us through a year that has been a, that has uh, felt like we've had a lot of difficulties and but you have, you have been faithful, and we thank you for that. And we thank you for bringing us to this point today. We don't know what will happen in the future, but we know that you, again, will be faithful. You will continually be faithful, and we commit ourselves to you for that. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning through your word. I thank you for your presence here already this morning in the singing and the sharing. And I pray now that you would open your word to us and that it would become alive in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for Phil as he shares that he would speak the words that you have laid on his heart to hear this morning. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's also welcome Jamie and Jenny back home. Good to have you back. For those of you who are visiting, they just got married and are back from their honeymoon. And we're excited to have you back. As a married couple, I also want to extend an invitation to Brother Brian Stork. He's sitting back here and has joined us today. Welcome, Brian. Some of you may know uh, that there's a church in South Dakota that uh, who's, the brother who's pastoring there, Brother Craig Strain, has taught here at one of our youth conferences. Craig and I have been good friends for many, many years. And uh, Brother Brian and his wife have been attending the church up there for a number of years. And now God is leading them to move to Greeley uh, through a job opening. And so that's why Brian is here and, and how we've met. There's an appalling and a horrible thing going on in the world today. From heaven's perspective, God is looking on something in the land that is appalling. You know what that word means? Obnoxious. Something you simply can't barely put up with. Now many of us have had that feeling 
when you smelled something that was so bad, right? It forced you to do this and get out of there as quickly as possible. Maybe it was a skunk. Maybe it was food that just made you nauseous, sick to your very stomach. Perhaps it was sin. I wonder if sin has ever affected you that way. In Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 30, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Guess what they were prophesying to Israel falsely? Peace. There's going to be peace. No, 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 no. All this stuff that you might be afraid of. Some of the people have already been carried captive to Babylon. But now the Lord promises peace. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. That's bad. Wouldn't you agree? The priests who were ministering to God's people were not there because God had commanded them to be there. They weren't giving, leading the people into worship because God was leading them into worship. They were doing it with their own thoughts. They were doing it as Proverbs 16 says, Every man is right in his own eyes. Every man thinks he's right. Comes up with an idea. And that's why we have arguments in the world today. Don't we? I believe I'm right. You believe I'm wrong. I believe she's wrong. I'm definitely right. I know the facts. Every man is right in his own eyes. And the priests were ruling God's people by what they thought was right in their own eyes. And the worst part of it is this. This is the appalling. Now that's bad. But that's not the worst of it. It gets worse. The appalling thing. The horrible thing that God says, I can't stand this comes and my people love it so you thought it was going to be just the priests that were bad people or maybe the prophets who were prophesying falsely God's people loved it they love it and they still do and if you're sitting here today thinking, that's not me, we'll see as you listen to God's word. And let, as Jesus said, heaven and earth pass away from you, but my words will not pass away. And in the last day, there's only one thing that will judge everyone, every person, old and young alike. 
no matter your background, no matter your knowledge of it, this word will be your judge. You and I will stand before God the moment we die, ushered into his presence. And it tells us in Revelation, the books will be opened and everyone will be judged by what they said and did. Oh, you said that, but there'll be another book. And God will look in his word. Is that what my word said? Or was it your own words? And Jesus said, every man will be judged by every idol or worthless, empty word they speak. Perhaps that's why Peter, understanding this important truth, said these words to us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, you speak, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Let him speak as it were God speaking. You think that's just for the prophets, those who preach? That's not what Peter said. He's not speaking to preachers. He's speaking to God's people. Whoever of you speak, let him speak. Let her speak. God's words. But the appalling and the horrible thing that is going on in my heart, in your heart, is that I think I'm right. And I tell you it's so. I speak out of how I think. Out of the abundance of the heart. Jesus said. The mouth speaks. And in another place. As a man thinks. So is he. I think I'm right. I will tell you what I think. But God's words. Or not in it. It's my words. And people love it. I'm a good storyteller. Unfortunately, God's people love good storytelling. Not just in the church. Yes, that is tragic. But in our homes, around the lunch table and the dinner table, around fellowship times, don't we all love a good story? Of course we do. It's interesting. It's fascinating. And we love it. And they did too. They were just like us. Hey, prophets, tell me a good story. Hey, priests, give me your idea of what I should do. How I should serve God. 
But there's one thing that God's people weren't hearing. God's word. They weren't hearing it. Jesus understood this truth. In Matthew chapter 13. He says this. His disciples come to him. Oh, by the way, what was Jesus doing? He was telling a story. Jesus was a very interesting storyteller. One of the best. No, the best. He was the best storyteller. He was fascinating, interesting to multitudes of people. Not just 12 of them. Multitudes of people found Jesus interesting to listen to. And so they flocked to hear him speak. They said these words about Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7. Just a short earlier. Just a little bit of time earlier. They said these words to him. In verse 28. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words. The multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Wow. That guy is a good teacher. I like him. He's interesting. Or his teaching, or he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And then look at this in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and he did not speak to them without a story. Everything was spoken in parables. So that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the multitude and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and explained to us the parables of the field. I was actually looking for the verse in verse 10 of chapter 13. Jesus had just got done speaking, giving them the parable of what we call the parable of the sower. And in verse 10, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them this amazing truth. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Do you know that principle? Has God dealt with you in this truth? That if you have a gift given to you by God, but... You don't use it. You don't treasure it. Even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. And here's why Jesus told them a story and only good stories. This is the horrible, the appalling truth. Verse 14, and in their case, 
the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. It's happening in your heart, in your life, this prophecy. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You keep hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you won't understand where he's leading you. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. You'll look at something, but you won't know what's going on. It's like you're looking at a story. You know, you're reading a good story. You're reading even God's story. But you don't know what you're reading. You don't understand the purpose for this story having been written and preserved in a book called the Bible for you today. That part you won't see while you read the story. Why? There's a reason that we people can see something and not see what we're supposed to see. That we hear God speaking, but don't hear what we need to hear. There's a reason for it. These people had fulfilled that reason. For the heart of this people has become dull. I want to ask you, what does that mean? Have you had a dull heart? Do you know what that is? My dear friend, brother and sister, if you sit here this morning and you have no idea what a dull heart feels like, then your heart is dull. If you don't know, as you come before God and His Word, what it feels like if you haven't experienced God's Word like turning a light bulb on in your heart. And all of a sudden, as you read this Word, you are flooded with an understanding of it. The truth so grips your heart, it convicts you of sin, and you can't get away from it. You're gripped with the truth, and you fall on your face before God, and you repent of that sin. And Jesus meets with you and forgives you of that sin. And He cleanses your heart. He purifies your heart from this double standard you've been living. As he tells us in James, you double-minded purify your heart. And you come to God and you realize, he just took the scales off of my eyes. My dull heart has been enlightened. The word dull is also the word the synonym of, a, of that word is a word dimmed. When the lights are dimmed, you can barely see. Sometimes you can see somewhat, but it's a strain on your eyes. If you haven't experienced that, I invite you this morning to not just stay here in your seat, but to go meet with your God. And deal with this horrible, appalling sin 
the horrible, appalling condition of what you love. That's what Jeremiah was dealing with. God's people's love, their love language. They loved it. And in case you think that was just for the past generations, let me read you a word that might get your attention. In 1 Timothy, Paul is warning this young preacher, Timothy. And apparently it seems to us that Timothy had a bit of a human issue. It tells us Paul is encouraging him in 2 Timothy. In verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so therefore, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel of truth. Don't be ashamed, but preach it. And you find that Paul's exhortation to this young man was this kind of coaching experience of, Come on, come on. God has appointed you. God has anointed you. Come on. Get on with the work. Be bold. Timothy perhaps was a timid guy. Paul keeps addressing that timidity in Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think I told you 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul saying to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Whew. Have you been spoken to you like that by God? When God speaks to you, my dear brother, sister, do you understand it is in the presence of God, His presence, not just His Word, but His very presence is there. And you know, like Moses knew when God spoke to him out of this burning bush, Moses was a pretty confident man, self-confident man in his younger days. And he tried to bring deliverance through to Israel out of Egypt through that self-confidence that he felt God had appointed him to. But then, you know how things changed and Moses ran for his life. And now after 40 years of that self-confidence being demoted, downgraded to a shepherd man, a herdsman, God meets with Moses in the bush. And the bush starts burning and right in the middle of Moses' own life, there's a burning, fascinating thing happening. And he comes over to see and God speaks. And what happens to Moses? Moses changes completely through God's voice after the 40 years in the wilderness being a herdsman. And Moses takes off his shoes. God said, take off your shoes. You are in my presence. Have you heard the Lord deal with your self-confidence in his presence? When he speaks these words, and this is where I'm going, and in case you thought God's people back then had a problem, and Jeremiah was addressing that horrible and appalling problem, 
that God's people had a wrong love, a love for something that wasn't what God wanted to share with them, a love for other things and God's word in their life. Listen to these words. Verse 2. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great, per, uh, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. Have you ever felt that want? Come on, be honest with me. You just wanted a good story. Perhaps you wanted to go to sleep and so, what can I do? Put in an audio tape and give me a good story. Turn on the TV and distract me from what I think God's talking to me about. That time will come. What is past, what was past, is present. And if you and I get this, dear brother, sister, and allow the Lord Jesus through the light of his word to shine this truth on my heart. Not the prophet, not some wild preacher out there, not some religious scholar or those legalists over there. My heart, your heart, in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus. And you see dullness. You know what the, the alarm bell that Jesus is presenting to us is? If you like a good story, if you have this desire for ears being tickled, you are getting good stories. Jesus gave them what they wanted. My dear brother, sister, if your Christian relationship with Christ is a good story, a tale being told, and you find yourself fascinated and interested, that is your alarm bell. Your heart is dull. And Jesus is just a story to you. That's all. And the history books of the ages are just good, fascinating stories of people's lives. They intrigue your life. Their zeal intrigues you. William Law, who lived back in the, in the 1600s, may fascinate you with his book, The Power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll read it, and you'll be fascinated with it. Madame Guyon, a French woman back in the 1700s, 1800s, no, even back further than that, right, Lau? The 1500s, I think so, was a woman who was, was married to a very rich nobleman. But Jesus got a hold of her life and transformed her life. And she ended up spending 20 years in prison as a criminal for Jesus Christ. But she writes books in that prison 
And one of them experiencing the depth of Jesus Christ. It's a title of one of her books that I remember over 20 years ago gripped my heart. And it so gripped my heart that I took that book and the people didn't know it, but I preached through chapter by chapter of the truth she spoke of. Because I, as a preacher of the gospel, was fascinated with Madame Guillaume's experience of Jesus. But it didn't change my heart. My heart was dull. And so I was fascinated with a good story. Christ's story of a work in a woman hundreds of years ago. Are you that Christian? I was that preacher. I know what it's like to have a dull heart and be fascinated with stories of Jesus. I'm a part of the multitude and I was there. Look what these tickling ear desires do to us in our hearts. Verse 4. They will accumulate, verse 3, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. And that word myths in the Greek is stories fables, fairy tales. However, the Lord has made it more personal to me in saying this is the myth, Phil. The myth that you become fascinated with is my work in others' lives. And when you become fascinated and interested in my work in others' lives without my work being done in your heart, your life, then you're one of those tickling ear syndrome Christians. You have a, a horrible problem. From heaven's perspective, it's appalling. Jesus was dealing with that in John chapter 6 with these people who were coming to hear him preach. They had been coming to see Jesus in John chapter 5 because they were seeing signs. People were being healed. Those who had been lame got up and they walked. People who couldn't hear all of a sudden could hear. People who were blind all of a sudden could see Hundreds and hundreds of these people. And that was amazing. Wouldn't you say so? Don't you find that fascinating? I do. And so did they. But then Jesus tested them in another way. He took them out to a wilderness and made them get hungry. And when they really got hungry... He fed them food. He met 
their material, physical need. He took them to a place where they did need it. They became needy physically. And then he met that need. Wow, that really got him. That hooked him. Now it wasn't just watching others get healed. Jesus fed me. I ate from him. He supplied my personal need. Let me tell you about that. Oh, dear brother, sister, who is God to you? You and I found in myself that as a Christian and as a brother in the church, I like to meet people and say to them, hey, what's God doing for you? I don't think I'm going to greet anyone like that anymore. I'll tell you why. What God is doing for you is not important. What he is doing in you is what is life. That's the difference. Follow me, Steve. That's the difference that God gave me in this word. I am all taken up and sore you and many of Christians are to one degree or another of what God is not only doing for them, but what he's doing for me. You see, there's a lot of things I want from Jesus besides just my sins forgiven. Are you going to be okay with just your sins forgiven? I don't think so. You want a lot more than that. Be honest. Don't you want an eternal life in heaven with him? Who doesn't want that? Don't you want to never weep anymore? Don't you want to never sorrow anymore or have any kind of pain anymore? Yes, we want that too, Jesus. Don't you want him to be good to you and not let you get hungry today? Brandon, did you get that photo to be able to be put up or not? Maybe not. He'll work on it. There's a photo I found on the internet. There it is. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I look at that dear young boy. And I say, that is horrible. And that's appalling. Don't you? Or does that make you glad? Now, every one of us are gripped with that. This is how heaven is looking upon God's people. That's you. That's me. When we are excited about what Jesus is doing for others and for me, instead of what Jesus is to me, the relationship. That's how Jesus had found these people. In verse 26 of John chapter 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And in case you think Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, he is not. He's talking to his followers. They're seeking Jesus. I'll show you later. These are his people, his disciples. 
his regulars. Verse 27. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, for which the Son of Man shall give to you. Or on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. And they said, oh, what must we do to work? That work. They wanted Jesus, put me to work. I'll do something. We are very willing to do some external thing for Jesus, aren't we? And this is one of the great, most horrible and appalling distractions for the child of God. Because it gives a sense of false security to you and me. When I come to God and say, what must I do to work? What must I do to work the work of God? Jesus answers and said, you must believe. Every word the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart. Through His word. You must believe on me. It's not what you do. It's who you are. That matters. Doing matters too. But it must come out of faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us. You see, there's an appalling thing about that. Let's keep that photo up there if you don't mind. That's good. I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you for putting Bible verses up there. One of the most appalling things about this picture, the saddest, horriblest truth of this photo is something you don't know. All over the world, God's people were gripped by giving people like this fresh water. And so they're sending out teams to dig wells and give them fresh water. My brother, my youngest brother, for many years spent time in Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, ravaged by the devil and devil worship and voodoo. And we went down there, Katie and I, a few times and spent time with him. This is what he told me. We go out into remote villages where that is how everybody is drinking their water. Up the river, women are washing their dirty clothes. And down the river, kids are filling up buckets of water to take home for drinking water. Up the river, cows are pooping in it. Down the river, they're collecting it to drink. And a Christian comes in there who loves them. And he says, I want to dig a well. It'll be free to you at no cost. And they dig a well, and they get fresh water out of that well. And the people drink it. They taste it. And they say, no, thank you. That's my water. We've always drank from this. That's what I like. That's the appalling, horrible truth that Jesus is addressing to you and me today. He says these words, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of your life. You may say, oh, sure, that sounds good, Jesus. Give me some more bread. 
You fed the multitude. You ready to feed me too? That desire immediately is, sure, give me some more bread. And Jesus said, done with me giving you the bread. I am your bread. Do you know how God surely tests this to every one of us as his children? Because he knows our hearts. He knows how wicked and desperate it is. He knows that's who we are. We grew up doing that and we like it. It's normal. So God lets us get thirsty. Very thirsty. In Deuteronomy chapter 8. God let his people get hungry and he tested their love for him this way. You love God for the food he gives you, for what he does for you. Or will you come to Jesus because of who he'll make you to be? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is reminding Israel of God's gracious dealings with them. And he says this, verse 2, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. How? This is how. And let you be hungry. And fed you with manna. Did they want manna? No, they didn't. What did they cry for? What were they hungry for? Meat. The leeks and the onions. Give me a good steak. But God fed them with manna. He might test them to see what they were hungry for. God will test you and I's hunger by giving us a famine, by allowing us to get very, very thirsty and hungry and watching how you will fill it. He'll give you manna, his very own life for your sustenance. But it will test whether it will satisfy your hunger or your thirst or whether your heart is actually hungry for that. And if you go to that, now you know that he's tested you. If you go to the husks of the world and fill the emptiness of your soul with what the world has to offer, what seems right to you, what feels comforting? Ah, you have the tickling ear syndrome. You can be sure. Because Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. I've given you food. Jesus continues to say these, this amazing truth. And here's how they reacted. And I find that in my own life, my natural reaction is the same. I want, still want more from Jesus than just who he is and who he wants me to be. 
I would like some bread. I would like some signs of his greatness, of his power. I want physical nourishment from Jesus. And it's that lust, that strong desire of my heart that Jesus is trying to deal with. Jesus said to them in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. You know what they said to him? Really? Our fathers were in the wilderness and Moses gave them bread. Who do you think you are? Got better bread than that. And this is exactly what God's people still do. We rely on our heritage. Or our identity. Oh, my fathers, our fathers met with God this way. And I, I, I'm their offspring. I'm their son. That's who we are. And Jesus is dealing with that very issue of their own identity. To come to him and find it only in him. And so he says something to them. He says this. Verse 53. Jesus therefore said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Have you read those words? Do you believe them? Do you? When heaven is looking down at your heart and God is looking at his people, is he seeing that my people believe me when I said this? They act on it. They satisfy their hunger and their thirst in me. I think that heaven is probably looking upon an appalling Christianity today. Where the multitudes are still satisfying themselves there. And being okay. Instead of in Christ. What did Jesus actually mean? This is, this is like a... This is a big deal. If you don't eat his flesh and you don't drink his blood, you have no life in you. You're dead to God. Don't you think it's pretty important? It is in my life. Because I took Jesus' words seriously, I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? Give me this bread, I said with these people. After he said that, they said, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said, it's me. And it's my word. It's my manna from heaven for your soul. Is it? Or is there some 
other bread you were looking for from Jesus for you. I don't know if you're like them and you say, that's a hard statement right there. Do you still say that? Do you know what it means? To eat Jesus' flesh and to drink his blood for real? Or do you like them? That's a hard statement. This is a difficult statement, verse 60. Who can listen to it? And so, the end of the story in 65 is, 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and walked nowhere with him. He was talking to his disciples who had dull hearts, who were drinking from mud puddles, trying to fill their thirsty soul while Jesus is the bread from heaven and is drawing them to partake of his flesh and blood. How is he your flesh and blood? In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, it says, And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. Here's how Jesus revealed it to me. My Word still needs to be made flesh. Or else it's just a good story that tickles your ears. That's all. Don't you find King David fascinating? Don't you find Solomon, wow, amazing, and yet a little crazy? Don't you find Samuel as a little boy in the temple seeking God, an intriguing story, God spoke to him at night? Don't you find Daniel in the lion's den and the lions shutting their mouth and not eating him? An interesting story? Yes, you do. We all do. But Jesus says, it's my word that needs to become flesh and blood on the earth today. I want someone to live out my truth in his life, in her everyday life today. I'm looking for that person. Will you come to me to be that person? My word. And when you read, love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you, persecute you. And when all of this happens to you, leap for joy. You say, yeah, Jesus is a bit extreme. Can't do it. Tried it. Doesn't work. Or will you come and say, Lord, make that word me. Make me that person. The difference is the one who does not ask the Lord and open up their heart and mind to Christ to be changed by his living word through humble obedience to every word of God spoken, that desire is to be changed, made like his word. The one who doesn't do that, or your heart will become dull, and you'll find yourself more and more taken up with good stories. You see, that mud puddle is actually water. 
that mud puddle does actually satisfy a thirst. It's not the right, proper, nutritious satisfaction, but it does satisfy temporarily. And when you as God's children, when we as God's children are satisfied with temporal things, instead of satisfied with the manna that he wants to change into lives. Real people who actually are meek. Real people who love their enemies. Real people who get slapped on the face and turn around to give the other cheek also. Real people who bless when they're cursed. Real people who love and love with an enduring love. Real people. That Jesus' word is being made flesh and blood. And unless you and I do that, we have no life in us. It's just a good story. If you want a fascinating read, your brother, sister, read this book sometime. Many years ago, someone gave this to me as a gift. It's called Him or It. And this... These authors have put together many stories of God dealing with his people this way. And I wonder how many of God's people are still taken up with it. There's an it in your life that you want. Or will you allow him to change the it's in your life to him? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing the word with us again. We certainly have heard from the Lord this morning. Once again, thank you all for being here. And please do stay and continue in our time of fellowship and a meal. We've got plenty of food back there, so definitely stay and enjoy that. And let's continue fellowshipping here this afternoon. Let's all stand, and we'll ask a blessing on the new meal, and uh, you can consider yourselves dismissed. Papa, do you want to ask a blessing and dismiss us with prayer? Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. The word says that flesh profiteth nothing, but the words that you speak unto you, to us, they are spirit and life. And we thank you that we heard from you this morning. Help us to... Meditate upon it, Lord, and work it out in our life. Thank you, Lord, for many blessings, the food that you've prepared for us. We thank you for it. Dismiss us with your love. Be with us this week, Lord. Help us to enjoy each other's fellowship and the joy that you have set before us, Lord. May it be reality in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.